0: From Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company Liquinet, coming to you live on tape from New York City. Here with me in my office is Imogen Rose-Smith, an investment fellow with the University of California. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And joining us from Impact Alpha's world headquarters in the San Francisco Bay Area is David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. What's happening? Hello again. Oh, it's all happening here. That's right. Well, on today's show, we're going to discuss the Green New Deal, which has swept the new Democratic Congress and the developing presidential race, putting climate change and economic inequality at the center of the U.S. political discussion for arguably the first time. Indeed, linking climate change and social justice is giving the effort the kind of momentum that could just possibly force a major political realignment and a massive mobilization, or it just might secure Donald Trump's re-election. Who knows? David, everyone is talking about the legislative framework put forth by Superstar new Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, better known as AOC. David, what is the deal with the Green New Deal?
1: Well, Brian, this is a New Deal. It's also, you know, been something folks have been talking about for a while, which is basically linking a massive climate mobilization to both economic Pauls would call it stimulus, but it's more than that. It's actually a sort of re- distribution and reorganization of the economy. So basically driving prosperity into communities through a mechanism of this great mobilization around clean energy effectively. And a couple of things that should be pointed out is, is a net zero goal by 2030, which is more aggressive than the Paris Climate Accord calls for, which is basically says net zero by 2050. So a net um, zero what? Net zero carbon in the, in the U.S. economy by 2030. So that is at the ambitious edge of plans that, for example, states and cities have adopted. Some of them are going net zero um, uh, more, by, more by 2050. Um, I don't even know whether any major state has said net zero by 2030, but it's an acceleration of the pace of decarbonization. And frankly, it's that pace is required to keep the world under certainly a 1.5 degree scenario of climate change. So the science is actually with it, whether the economics are with it is the big question. And then on the economics, the other significant point of it, and you called it out, was sort of democratizing finance, to make finance the servant of this mobilization, to use it not only to bring clean energy, but also to bring good jobs and community revival and all those good things in, in communities. So not to have those things set against each other, but to have... Prosperity and climate uh, action go hand in hand.
0: Of course, Brian, it's totally non-binding. So Imogen, mentioned, what does that, uh, where does that leave us?
2: Typically, the fact that it's non-binding would bother me, right? You know, it, this is, you yeah, we've got a Congress that is a complete cluster.
1: Was that a technical term?
2: It is. It is the technical term for the state of Washington and has been for a number of years now. You know, we've discussed before how the, the likelihood of getting realistic climate-related or infrastructure-related legislation through the current Congress is slim to none. What makes this new New Deal Anything different or special, especially given that you're talking about something that is much more progressive and on the side of the political left than something like an infrastructure bill that many different stakeholders can agree on. But in this instance, this is more of a pledge. This is a signifier. And it actually reminds me of sort of the on the political right, the sort of and Norquest, no new taxes signifier that Republicans have to take to sort of be the litmus test of their bona fides as, you know, Know, low tax Republican Party, right? Their
0: fiscal fiscal responsibility yes, the, the uh, bona fides, yeah. <laughs> which
2: which we've just seen how how effective that is. And so, you know, in a sense, this is a very post-Trumpian approach to government and public policy, which is very much saying it's not about the details; it's about the the, 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 the signifier and what it stands for and what it represents, and we will work on the details afterwards. And also, I think, again, where Cortez has been very smart um, is not getting caught up in the spending, right? Now, typically, you know, the liberal left will propose something and everyone will go, oh, my God, that's so expensive. We're never going to do it. And she's raising good points, which is basically being like, hey, We're blowing up the deficit right now, so let's not get hung up on this, on on how we're going to pay for something that is absolutely essential, and instead focus on the need and, and the recognition and rallying behind the fact that this has to happen.
0: David, what's interesting about this legislative framework is it's talking about a massive increase in spending on infrastructure, on good jobs. Uh, on a lot of programs to kind of get us to this green and inclusive new economy, uh, but it doesn't talk about public-private partnerships. It doesn't talk about mobilizing the private sector in a way. And and what do you take that to indicate? Well, actually, I think that's not quite the right reading of it. I mean, it's true that that Alexandria
1: Ocasio-Cortez has kind of gone to the mat, and you know, more power to her for that. The public can pay for these things. And that higher taxes on uh, people with high incomes is is actually not a growth impediment, might be a growth um, spur. So she's actually broken through a bunch of political kind of, you know, underbrush there to be able to actually talk about those kind of things. So that's all to the good. But on the other hand, it kind of undersells the fact that there is going to be massive private investment coming along the way. Now, she would say, we don't want to rely on that. We don't want to privilege that. All to the good. But, you know, the investments, first of all, are happening. And second of all, the legislation itself. Let me just read you Section 4A. Uh, To achieve the Green New Deal goals and mobilization will require the following projects providing and leveraging in a way that ensures the public receives appropriate ownership stakes and returns on investment, adequate capital, including through community grants, public banks, and other public financing, technical expertise, supporting policies, other forms of assistance: federal, state, and local governments and businesses working on the Green New Deal mobilization. So basically, what she's laid out there is what you know we at Impact Alpha would just call the new revivalist, the blended finance, the as you said, public-private partnerships. You know, um, risk risk guarantees. You know, s- community development. There's a whole apparatus that it knows how to now. Uh, mobilize capital, apportion risk, generate a pipeline of projects, see those projects through, hold them accountable to impact goals. That's exactly what the impact investing community has built over the last several decades. And I would not say that this cuts them out. I would say it basically says go to
0: town. I, I don't know if if I take that same reading of it because I th- I think in this bill that she is focusing more on government having appropriate ownership stakes and returns for the government capital that they put into projects and I think that you know she's spoken about this before when it comes to uh, prescription drugs in the pharmaceutical industry that you know the the, the US government uh, pays for so much basic research on top of which uh, drug manufacturers then produce blockbuster jobs, uh, drugs through which they reap enormous profits and benefits that doesn't, you know, accrue back to uh, the, the public. And so I think that's more of the emphasis that they're putting on this is that it's, yes, they do mention about, you know, working with businesses, working on Green, green New Deal mobilization, but I think the emphasis more is on the public sector investment and ownership uh, and taking the public top-down government uh, lead on, on these kind of uh, projects.
2: I tend to agree with Brian on this. Um, I, I think it's conspicuous. Like I think that the pub, the private sector, is conspicuous by its absence from this legislation. And I think, you know, Cortez is making a very clear point with that. And I think there is built into that an an inherent scepticism and sort of queasiness around public-private sector partnerships and this idea that in effect you know in those kind of scenarios the public sector always gets the bad deal that somehow it's sort of the good and the bad economy the clara miller model right that the private sector comes in screws everything up and then it has to be the public sector or the philanthropic sector that comes in and cleans everything up and i think that this this legislation and this movement is very much trying to push back against that and say, no, we need to reset how we think about these mechanisms and about the economy more broadly, and that we can't disconnect the inequality that we're seeing from the climate crisis and other factors. And I think it's a very difficult question as to how impact investing sits in this framework and, and in this vision. It is, is impact, you know, to David's point, a source of good and, hey, guys, we've been working on these tools and we're ready to go, or is an actual fact, impact investing a panacea for the last 40, or what, what Cortez was called sort of last 40 years of failure. And in fact, it's a way of perpetuating and enforcing the status quo.
0: Yeah, I think, David, this brings up a broader point that I am curious about, really, is that the Green New Deal may drive a bit of a wedge between people in the impact investing ecosystem. Because, after all, impact investing is where people from both the left and the right converge. From the left, people come to impact investing because of their desire to solve social and environmental challenges. And from the right, people come to impact investing because of its focus on mobilizing private capital for innovative solutions to social challenges instead of using top-down government regulations and and government funding. So this Green New Deal may force those doing impact investing from the left to choose in a way. Are you really going to throw your lot in? with those neoliberal market fundamentalists or are you going to come back to your roots and embrace the notion that government can actually be the solution to our shared problems? So, David, where where do you come down on this as our... uh, (laughs) why? <laughs> Why? optimist and you're optimistic about the promise of impact investing to mobilize private capital for innovative solutions, uh, but you also are a you know recovering hippie that uh, <laughs> that that also believes in government action. And so, is is does the Green New Deal appeal to your uh, your boomer uh, <laughs> roots? <laughs> you're really you're really uh, laying it I'm on here, Brian. <laughs> <trying. laughs> yeah, Aging be. hippie <laughs> boomer. <I guess>. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I feel like I have to climb out of a hole before I even start. <laughs> 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 like it is, basically,
0: it's AOC <laughs> saying to you, David, it's okay. I understand that you've been in the neoliberal market fundamentalist world all these years because that's been the dominant theme of our society right now. Uh, but it's okay. Come on back. We're We're really here to say that the government is going to be the answer to our solutions. And so you can come out of hiding.
1: I'm glad, I'm happy to come out of hiding. And I'm also happy, you know, you said recovering. I, I'm also happy to to own up to, um, you know, certain positions I might have had that I don't hold as strongly to now. So I'm really uh, all of the above kind of guy these days. And I would just argue that, you know, nobody gets to choose. I mean, I think you guys have it right in terms of what the politics of this are. But I would say that that that, that the practical way that stuff happens is... Everybody just piles in. And if there are incentives, you know, the capital follows that. They don't care necessarily whether it got passed by a Republican Congress or a Democratic Congress. If they can, there's some money they can grab, they'll go grab it, whether it's a tax cut on the one hand or an incentive on the other. And, you know, uh, the The backers of the Green New Deal may have their druthers about whether it's this much public, that much private, but it's going to play out the way it plays out. And there's very there is investment. I would argue not adequate investment. So therefore, government mandate, government incentives are, are I think, are important and are, are crucial. But there are investments going on in every one of the areas they're calling for investment in, whether that's sustainable ag or, obviously, in 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 renewable energy, but in the transportation sector and in electrification of vehicles. And and um, and building efficiencies, all of those things are subjects, as you well know, and Impact Alpha readers know, subjects of lots of deal flow and lots of money. Now, boosting that all up, taking that all up tenfold, making the goals come deeper, the, you know, carbon cuts come deeper and faster. That's what this legislation could and should do. Frankly, what it does is it it reverses the downward expectations that have happened since Trump said he's going to pull out of Paris and that sort of took the wind out of Paris and says, no, the U.S. is not going to be the laggard on climate. We're going to go back to being the leader on climate. We're going to have the most aggressive goals, not Welch on the goals we've already made. And it just picks up on what states and cities and and even companies, yes, companies are are already doing. So I think the direction is great. The urgency is great. The mobilization is great. The capital incentives are great. and, and, And let it all rip.
0: Yeah, and I think actually just to contradict my, my previous uh, line of questioning and just to re- reemphasize, uh, David, your earlier point that it is a non-binding resolution. So even if it were to pass, uh, it wouldn't actually create any new programs as it stands right now. Instead, it would just actually just affirm the sense that the the House uh, recognizes that these things should be done in the coming years and kind of- I think br- it's like the us-
1: cavalry coming over the hill. You know, maybe that's so we can't use those express those, those things <laughs> anymore. Um but in any it's reinforcements coming in just when the U.S. was starting to be counted out. So it's 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 totally welcome at that level. And the fact that there's a mass movement behind it, the fact that it's a that it's a a quasi populist movement that says you know these are the needs of real working people and and not some global elite that's trying to foist some agenda on on the poor benighted workers. Um, that's all to the good. That's the reframing that that this thing is doing. How the money flows, it's. It's going to flow, hopefully, you know, from all directions and to all kinds of structures that will be unleashed. Um, and, I, you know, I do think that that private capital has a role to play because there's just so much of it and we need it. And and why would we uh, turn our nose up on it? That seems to be an elite. That would, right. that would be that would be an elite affectation, I think.
0: And, and and wasn't it uh, Mario Cuomo, the former governor of New York, who said that, you know, we campaign in poetry and we govern in prose. And so maybe this Green New Deal framework is the poetry of setting goals of getting to uh, a net zero carbon economy. Uh, and but the actual pros uh, when the legislation actually gets built, will uh, will will there be some public financing, some public-private partnerships, some incentives, some taxes to help uh, create the right incentives to mobilize uh, the private sector as well? Imogen, okay, what do you think?
2: That. That is a very optimistic reading, but I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um, But I think this is forgetting that in a sense that's already happening, right? We're seeing it at the state level. I think California is an excellent example Um, and Hawaii as well and certain other states. And again, if if the sort of the, the Green New Deal becomes the litmus test and it becomes a signifier, then you're going to see all these ambitious politicians, particularly at the state level, Commit to that and start making differences at the state and local levels, which will result in, in that and is already in, in resulting in investment and innovation. So, so in a sense, you know, we we don't need we do need Washington, um, and we need to change the dynamic on Washington as quickly as possible. But we don't need to wait for Washington. And I do think there you are starting to see private sector investing, including impact investing coming into those growing opportunities.
1: I wanted to make one more point, which is that the point about the public sector getting its due in terms of ownership stakes and, and returns on investment is absolutely important. And it's it's public both in, as in government and it's also public as in community and broader con- stakeholders and that is where there's a lot of innovation going on all across the country and, and even the world about how funds are structured, about what kinds of capital make sense, about how to blend that capital, about where risks should be apportioned and, and, and whatnot. And that's a super rich area for, for innovation that is long overdue. So I think this legislation does a lot of good things in terms of breaking open the debate for into where it needs to be.
2: And I agree with you that elevating that question of ownership I think is so important uh, and and who who really bears the costs and who really bears the benefits of you know the new energy economy but also healthcare and all of these other you know vital societal functions I think I think that is key and if, if, and changing that dynamic away from sort of oh this is somehow socialism to recognizing that no you know sharing the wealth is in fact a vital part of a su- successful sustainable capitalist economy if if that can happen that will be a huge game changer
1: any day you get any day you get a US congresswoman talking about uh, externalities of, of, of climate and, and environmental and social costs um, you, you know that we're getting somewhere so so let's salute the let's salute the mobilization and, and, and get with it
0: All right. Well, I think that's a good place to to end it. That's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thanks to David Bank. Oh, thank you, Brian. And thanks to Imogen Rose Smith.
2: Thank you, Brian.
0: And special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha, providing news and insights for those working to build an inclusive and prosperous future. Find us at impactalpha.com, on Twitter at Impact Alpha, and on our Slack channel, exclusive for Impact Alpha subscribers. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, or anywhere you uh, listen to podcasts. And if you do like this podcast, consider telling two other people about it and leave a rating on uh, iTunes. It really helps other people find us. If you don't like the podcast, maybe keep it to yourself. Just kidding, we love your feedback. Drop us an email at editor at From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in some sense of the word next time.